Now I'd like to have a word of prayer and invite you to bow your heads with me as we seek the Lord together. Father in heaven, we do again thank you so much for this Holy Sabbath day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come together here and for the opportunity to to broadcast over the internet and to reach those uh, faithful souls that we love who are far away. We humbly come before you, Lord. We praise you. We thank you so much for Jesus who died for our sins. He lived a righteous life. He showed us the way because he is the way. And so we humbly ask for the Holy Spirit to be with us today. Help us to be more like Jesus. Help us, Lord, to keep our eyes lifted up to heaven, to that sanctuary where Jesus is ministering in our behalf. Father, we pray that you forgive us our sins. We claim his blood that that was shed because of what we've done. We're so sorry, Lord. Help us to be overcomers. Help us to come into unity, unity of faith, unity of doctrine, and to become organized in our families, as individuals, as families, and as churches, so that you can pour out your power upon us to finish the work. Father, I pray for those who are ill, those who couldn't make it to church for whatever reason, that you will send angels and Holy Spirit to be near to them, that they may still gain a taste of heaven today. I pray for Barb, who's out of the hospital. I pray that you will continue to be with her. Help her to to come to know Jesus. That's the most important thing. Uh, Lord, but to be healed from her infirmities. I pray for my wife who's looking for clients. I pray for, pray for Jerry who's looking for clients as well. And Father, you know I'm still uh, still healing. And I pray for, for healing and uh, also, Lord, uh, that you will pour out blessings upon us to, to pay these bills that have uh, been incurred because of it. I thank you so much for your church, your people, especially for Jesus. I know that you will answer these prayers, or we ask it in the name of Jesus, who is so worthy. Amen. I have entitled this, The Home and Church, and this is part four. We've kind of broken them up over the last, I don't know, two to three months. And uh, this is part four. Um, I probably will do a uh, recap of all of it before we move on uh, into uh, other themes. But uh, this is very important. This is, you know, we've been looking at um, the family, how the family is a church, etc., and, and uh, gospel order. We started out defining who and what God's church is, which is extremely important. Probably one of the most important things in our time, beloved. Uh, Because if you don't know who Babylon is, we're going to get to that in the future here, uh, and you don't know who God's church is, uh, you're in a quandary. (laughs) Uh, You could be in Babylon, which many are, millions are in Babylon, thinking they're in God's church. So it's a very important subject, isn't it? And we've seen how the family is an example, and this is what we're looking at, how the family uh, is an example to us. Not only is the family a church, but it's an example to us 
of God's church, God's order. So it's a very important theme, isn't it? I hope you've come to understand that. I was talking to my kids one time a few years ago about uh, doubts, you know, doubts that they sometimes had concerning the things of God. Doubts of God's existence, I will tell you, are normal. Uh, There are many more atheists, uh, I think, today than there ever have been before. (laughs) So that's normal, you know, doubts about God's existence. Uh, But it's also normal for those who are seeking answers to the great questions that are shared really by human beings. might help if I turn my lapel mic on. Can you hear me? Testing, one, two, three. You know, and these are, these are the same questions that, um, that I had. I mean, I wasn't raised in a church. Uh, we did go to church until I was about probably, uh, I don't know, seven or eight years old maybe. You do the Christmas thing, you know. They put the kids up front and they quote a scripture and everybody applauds and that was it, <laughs> you know. Uh, but we quit going and and uh, uh, and so I wasn't really raised with any formal uh, belief pertaining to God. In my mind, as I grew older, I knew there was some... I mean, you look at nature and you see the laws of nature and you you witness these things and you have to ask questions. You know, and these are the great questions. Where did we come from? What is the purpose of life? What comes next, if anything? And those kinds of things. And I shared with them, my children, that it's okay to ask questions about God as long as they are the right questions. You know? Sometimes we ask questions that have no answer. Or the answer is so far above our pay grade as human beings that we could never understand the answer. You know, such as the question, where did God come from? I mean, we could go insane trying to... And there are people today that try to answer that. See? The problem is... When it comes to doubts, such questions may help to increase our doubts because we don't understand that with God there is no beginning or end. How can finite human beings understand an infinite God? See, So it's good for us to ask understandable questions about God and He has promised to enlighten us. He gave us a book of answers to help us to understand Him. In fact... We read in Isaiah 1 and verse 18 where God says, Come now, let us reason together. What an invitation. The infinite God wants to reason with us. I mean, as far as we can reason. He's so far beyond what, you know, that. But he, he steps down, as it were, to reason with us. And I ask God many questions reasoning with Him, especially as I'm studying His book. (laughs) And this helps me put away any doubt as I become confident in the answers that God provides in His Word. My doubts are also erased when I look at the wonderful example in God's first book, you know, Nature. What a wonderful, wonderful book filled with incredible lessons. 
You know, when I look up at the sky at night and I see all the stars that are billions of miles away, I know that there is a grand designer. I know that there is a creator. There is order in the sky above me. Stars and planets are soaring through space. Do you realize that? They're not doing their own thing, but they're operating in perfect order as designed. Not one crossing the orbit of another so as to collide. Do you realize that? How incredible. I mean, how is that possible if there is no grand designer? I see the sun rise and set every day like clockwork, and this doesn't happen by accident. Season after season and year after year, friends, we are all witnesses to this order in the heavens. Order does not miraculously appear out of chaos. There has to be a power that sets things in its order and keeps them there. And so I have this book, this book called the Bible. It tells me that there is a power, a grand designer that created order and keeps order. And I will tell you, if there are laws in nature, there has to be a lawgiver. <laughs> has to be. And in God's book, we read in the very beginning, about creation. In Genesis 1, verses 16 and 17, it says, And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. So when you look up in the sky at night and you see it, you know that God exists. And it says, verse 17, And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. God set them there. This was by His design. So when we get the answers to our questions about God from His book, we come to know Him and understand that He is not chaos, but perfect order. And His government exemplifies His character of order. And this is something we've been looking at. Gospel order. Organization. We found that His church is to exemplify His character of order let me share this with you from a review and herald June 10th 1902 order is heaven's first law that's a remarkable statement just right there isn't it I mean if you were to to sit back and contemplate heaven and God's government What would you think his first law would be? That's interesting, isn't it? And here we're, we're told, order, organization, proper order, gospel order. Order is heaven's first law. And the Lord desires his people to give in their homes, each one of us in our homes, a representation of the order and harmony that pervade the heavenly courts. As Christians, we are to be examples of heaven's first law. Order. And when we see the character, the, 
the perfect order of God, whether it is in His book, the Bible, or in nature, or in His people, then we can begin, we can become confident in His word and promises, for they are dependable. Friends, I'll tell you, as dependable as the sun rising and setting every day, as dependable as those stars staying where God has placed them. And as we increase in confidence, our doubts will decrease. And we'll grow in faith and grace as members of His family. I've shared this with you before. And understanding that order is heaven's first law and it's to be exemplified in our home. Let me share this with you again from the Adventist home, page 306. The Lord designs that the families on earth shall be symbols of the family in heaven. Friends, we've discovered this. We've learned this theme over and over and over. Can't be denied. Church isn't a building. Church isn't an organization. But the church is to be organized. People get very confused about that. And they don't have to be confused. In our study here, this theme, the home and the church, we've learned eight fundamental truths to proper biblical church order. This is what we've learned so far. Let me go over it really quickly here. First, the Christian family circle is a church. It's a member of God's church. It's a church, a local church. Two, family order teaches about church order. What are the duties of the, the husband? The mother, the child. Three, the family and church are organized for character development and service. Fourth, not to be uh, the organization. This gospel order is not congregational. It's not hierarchical. But it's a representative form of order. Jesus said we're all brethren. Fifth, the church uh, uh, organization of the church is to be united in faith and doctrine. And that includes, as I just mentioned a few minutes ago, knowing who and what is the church. Sixth, we're to have a covenant bond with each other and God. Just like in a marriage, right? Seventh, we're to have a name that expresses who they are. You know, the wife takes the husband's name. And we come into order, we take the name of Christ, don't we? And uh, what we learned last time, we're going to continue today. Eight, leaders are to be set in the church according to biblical qualifications, as well as the calling of God. I wonder, you know, sometimes I ask, how did the Adventist pioneers learn such principles of organization? You know, it wasn't an easy road for them. There's great opposition to organization. Um, and so, you know, while sharing the truth about gospel order, they continued to work the mission field and spread the three angels' messages. And many people joined the movement because of their efforts. They continued and there were, they raised up churches, but there was no greater order. There was 
barely the right type of order at the local level. They would have elders. But eventually, by necessity, as the number of converts increased, they had to come into organization or the work would not succeed. Do you want your work for the master to succeed? I sure do. Do you want the work of the church to succeed? Yes, absolutely. Let me share this with you. Speaking about the Adventist pioneers, this is from Christian Experience and Teachings, page 195. Very important principles in this quote, friends. She says, as our numbers increased, as they went about spreading the the three angels' message, people were converted. Their numbers increased. She says it was evident that without some form of organization, there would be great confusion and the work would not be carried forward successfully. If we don't have organization, we're not going to be successful in working for the Master. Now I want you to pay close attention to to this. She's giving definitions as to why organization is needed. She says to provide for the support of the ministry, for carrying the work in new fields, for protecting both the churches and the ministry from unworthy members, for holding church property, for the publication of the truth through the press, and for many other objects, organization was indispensable. I'm going to repeat this. Notice very closely the five main reasons that she lists here for proper organization. First, she says, to provide support for the ministry. Ties and offerings, friends. Stewardship. God provide support for the ministry. Second thing, she says, to carry the work of the ministry into new fields. Well, you've got to have support for the ministry in order for you to send them into new fields. Missionaries. Three. This is important. This really gets glossed over. This is one of the this is the greatest reason I'm going to tell you for the apostasy of the church. This is the greatest reason. When you see the apostasy of the church, you know that they're out of gospel order. She says to protect the churches and the ministry from unworthy members. Remember, one of the characteristics of the church of God is that they're united in doctrine. And this is speaking probably primarily to church discipline. What does the church do today? They're more concerned with numbers than with the truth. They baptize thousands of people, not only with false teachings, but some of them with hardly any teaching, just a profession that they love Jesus. We talked about that in Sabbath school, didn't we? We learned the difference in the contrast between John's experience with Jesus Christ and Judas's experience with Jesus Christ. One was an overcomer who was humbled by his being shown his deficiencies. The other rejected that, fell 
for the temptations became controlled by the devil. The church is more concerned with bringing Judas's into the, the church thinking they're bringing John's in. Because <laughs> they're not holding up the standard, not holding up doctrine. They're not disciplining members. The fourth thing she mentioned there was to hold church property, to have legal ownership. And the fifth thing, to publish your truth through the press. That's evangelism. And I could spend a lot of time expanding upon each of these, but the point is that the organization of God's people is indispensable. In fact, God cannot bless this organization. We've seen that. But I'll tell you, you know, during this uh, particular time in the Advent movement, she's talking about, uh, um, in this particular time, that's what she's talking about, this particular time in the Advent movement, uh, there are many who spoke against organizing because they believe that it actually led the churches uh, in the past, those churches that they came out of, that organization is what, what caused the fall. That's what caused Babylon. So they believe that if you organize, you eventually would become Babylon. So they didn't want to organize. They fought against it. And there are many references in the testimonies where she speaks about how difficult it was to organize because of that belief, that fear. But see, there is proper organization. And those churches fell from it. Remember, one of the definitions of Babylon is that it was once holy, but has fallen. It was once organized on God's principles, but has become disorganized, see, and falls. And I'll tell you, no matter how difficult it may be, organization was indispensable then, and it is indispensable now. We need to come together as churches. Come together in doctrine. Come together in faith. Come together united and better organized. I'm going to tell you, friends, we're coming to a point in history that we must press together and organize together as God's church according to God's plan if we want to finish the work, if we want to receive that latter rain question is, are we going to do it? question is, are we going to be a part of it? I sure hope so. So you, if you if you have a group, now let's get into the nuts and bolts a bit here. If you have a group of believers that biblically uh, qualify to organize, in other words, they are members of God's church. They are who and what the church is, right? You have a group that qualify to organize, meaning like I said, they understand and meet the principles for church organization that we've covered in our studies. The next step is to see if anyone within the group biblically qualifies for leadership. And this is what Paul talked about. Setting elders in the churches. I mean, this is what Moses did when judging the people. This is what David, Solomon, Nehemiah, Jesus, the apostles did. You see it throughout the Bible. This is the proper step in gospel order. Now, I will say, you don't have to have a name for your group before leaders are set in the church. But in our studies, we know that a name needs to be chosen. I, my opinion, I guess, I think it needs to be chosen relatively quickly as you want the public to know who you are. 
as well as, I mean, this has been our experience, uh, handling finances, you know, tithes and offerings, uh, the printing of materials. People need to know who you are. In fact, everything she mentions for organization that we just covered there, those five things. Well, there's more than five, but she mentioned five. Those are main things there for organization. So if your group is in agreement with the uh, doctrine, and I'll say this, let's say your group is in agreement with the fundamental beliefs of our church, I would suggest that we get together and explore coming together in proper order. (laughs) As Hebrews 10.25 says. I mean, we already have a name, and that's the goal of every church. It's like the body. The body's made up of cells, and cells grow, and they split, and they duplicate. And church is to grow, and then split and plant another church, and to grow, and split and plant another church. That's what our mission is. Our mission is, I mean, we already have a name. We went through several, well, a few months of study and discussion. And we came, and we believe that uh, God led us to this name. And we'll be uh, raising churches that will be a part of uh, our group. So the invitation is there. I'd, I'd say, you know, we can get together and discuss these things and explore coming together in proper order. I mean, it's like history being repeated, friends. The Advent pioneers, the Adventist pioneers came together in Michigan. They formed the first organized church, and then all the other churches were encouraged to join with them in proper organization. And so that's all I'm saying. So I encourage you to consider taking the steps to join us in proper organization as well. I've been putting together a package for just such an opportunity. So, um, And by the way, I would recommend that you when you organize, you're starting to put these things together, I recommend that you not incorporate your church (laughs) as this is not necessary anymore to hold property and to do such things together. I mean, you you could form a trust or you can just by contract uh, form a group. Uh, That could be considered among other options when you get to that point. There's steps to, to go through before you get to that point, but... But let's say you you don't have someone who qualifies as a leader, someone who qualifies as, I would say, an elder. Don't rush somebody into that position. I'll get to that in a moment. But you can choose someone to lead out and then change uh, leadership every month or so, and this will not only give them some experience, but it will soon be evident who may have the ability or the calling to lead. Remember the qualifications for leadership that we looked at in Part 3. Paul lays it out pretty well and let God guide you in that process. And I'll share this with you. This is something that the prophet speaks to. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, page 619. Such arrangements should be made for the little companies accepting the truth. Now she's talking about these little groups. That's what I'm talking to. As shall secure the prosperity of the church. So the arrangements need to be made. To do what? To secure the prosperity of that group, the the prosperity of the church. One man may be appointed to lead for a week 
or a month, then another for a few weeks, and thus different persons may be enlisted in the work. And after a suitable trial, someone should be selected by the voice of the church. See that? It's a representative form of government. You see that? Chosen, right? By the voice, selected by the voice of the church to be the acknowledged leader. Never, however, to be chosen for more than one year. Then another may be selected, or the same one may be re-elected. If his service has proved a blessing to the church, many fail to exercise proper discernment in these important matters where eternal interests are involved. You need to be very sure in how we organize. And she's saying in these small groups, if you, if you don't have someone that, that is an, an elder or qualifies as an elder, you don't have someone that's leading out, here's some very good counsel on how uh, to do that. See, in the meantime, you can choose your name, you can get the financial aspect set up, you can discuss how, um, you know, the nuts and bolts of what times we're going to have worship, are we going to have Sabbath school, do we have someone who's willing to teach Sabbath school? These are processes that we went through in our growth as we came out of the, the general conference. And so when you find someone to lead out and you have these discussions as a group, I mean, when that's done, then the, then the worship services for Sabbath, like I said, can be better organized, you know, if need be, with those leaders heading the service, as well as setting an order, you know, Maybe you're going to need a treasurer because you're going to be accepting tithes and offerings. You're going to need a clerk because you're going to have business meetings, you know. And those are things that maybe they need to come pretty quickly when you organize. You decide to organize as a group. But when choosing leaders, I can't I cannot emphasize enough that care must be given when when choosing a leader. If you don't have anyone who qualifies to be an elder or deacon, do not place someone in that position. Do not do it. As Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.22, lay hands suddenly on no man. From Testimonies for the Church, Volume 6, page 85. Great care should be exercised in selecting officers for the new churches. What's she say? Great care. Let them be men and women who are thoroughly converted. Let those be chosen who are best qualified to give instruction, those who can minister both in word and in deed. And I'm telling you, that goes for the church clerk. It goes for the treasurer. You don't want to have somebody like Judas being the treasurer, do you? Now, on the outside, Judas looked very pious, and but he was a thief, wasn't he? And what I'm saying is you need to have, some, you need to have people of ex, with experience. A treasurer is someone who needs to have experience in handling finances, knows about banking, knows how to keep bank records, someone who's honest and trustworthy, <laughs> right? A clerk or secretary, they, they need to know how to take notes and keep records, <laughs> right? This is just kind of, to me, is like common sense, some common sense stuff, but when it comes to elder, you'd be very, very careful. They need to qualify. Throughout his entire ministry, Paul was careful 
to institute proper organization in the churches that he established. We have that example, see. In fact, Paul thought organization was so important that a short time after he'd been stoned in Lystra. You remember that? Paul was stoned like three times. But he was stoned in Lystra, and he thought it was it, this is such so important for the prosperity of the church. He returned to that area to organize the churches, even though he'd been stoned, run out and stoned. You see, he saw the gospel order included the employment of elders and deacons and was, as we read in Acts of the Apostles, page 185, an important factor in the spiritual growth of the new converts. You see, it was a safeguard against error, against fanaticism. It promoted unity among the believers. There was someone who was a, a sound doctrine full of the Holy Spirit that they could trust and depend upon to lead them closer to Christ. In place after place, Paul diligently instructed and aided churches in the establishment, friends, of proper order. We read in the Acts of the Apostles, again, page 185, and this is what she says. She says that in like Conia and Sid... Uh, Pisidia, churches were duly organized in all places where there were believers. What's that? Anywhere there are believers, they're to be organized. Officers were appointed in each church and proper order and system were established. Now notice she didn't say order and system were established, she said proper order and system. Regarding the work in Crete, Paul instructed Titus there, as our scripture reading says, to set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I have appointed thee. Now, of course, they need to qualify. And something that we we kind of, I don't know, we, we overlook sometimes is the time element here. They didn't have mass trans- transportation that we have today. Paul would spend years in a certain area building up a church. It wasn't like they showed up. They did like you see today. You know, they do a a five-week evangelistic effort, put the group together, and choose somebody as a leader in that group and take off and leave town. That's not how it's done. That's not proper order, friends. But we find there in Scripture, you know, or I'd say in inspiration, it shows that the appointment of elders and deacons was an integral part, a fundamental element of the gospel order that Paul established in the churches. Because I'll tell you, a group of believers that simply gathers together for meetings with no formal uh, organization and no officers selected, if any qualify now, is not a properly organized church and it will eventually fall into error because it's not properly organized. Now, there's growth. Don't get me wrong. There's the, there is the time element. You can have a group, but it needs to be moving closer to Christ. And as it gets closer to Christ, there is the need for organization because God, you know, God is a God of order. <laughs> 
Some will make the plea, and I've heard this before, but my church is so small. We do not have enough members to establish an organization or to to be truly organized, gospel order. Well, Paul didn't think that. He was careful throughout his ministry to organize even small groups of believers. Let me share this with you. Acts of the Apostles again, page 185. Those who in any place were by his labors, the speaking of Paul, led to accept Christ as a Savior, were at the proper time, now that's important, were at the proper time organized into a church. Even when the believers were but few in number, this was done. The Christians were thus taught to help one another, remembering the promise. Now it says few in number, but look at the context. She quotes Matthew 18.20, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. What's a family? What's the, what's the nucleus of the family? It's the father, the mother, they have children. There's three. Christian family, where two or three are gathered together in my name. So you can have a group of two or three people and you need to be properly organized. But there is a proper time for that. See? One of the things that was really uh, helped the Adventists in their movement to grow was they would go out and they, they would form what was called Sabbath schools. And essentially, it was groups that they would come call together and meet in someone's house and they'd call together and they'd have Bible studies. So as they got to know more and more of the truth, they, got, they, they were drawn closer to God and the time would come at the proper time they would be a formal group where a leader would be chosen and that Sabbath school would be become a church. Well, friends, I'll tell you, there are some groups out there that are like, they're at the stage of Sabbath schools. And they need to, the, the, the proper time has come for them, and they don't take the next step. The proper time is for them to formally organize, to charter a church, or to join with other churches. Which is like I was saying, you, you know, I'm really more, more than happy. I felt, It's one of my duties, I believe, to help groups to come in the church order and organization and you can join us. You know, I... I'm not going to get through this whole study. It's going to be another part. So So let me emphasize again, and we covered this last time. I want to emphasize it though because it's so important. The only qualified men are to be pastors and elders because they handle sacred covenant rituals such as communion, um, baptism, marriage, ordination, etc. Because you find biblically the husband... Remember, that was our example. Not our only example. It's an example of the family unit. That the husband is the head of the household and he's a type of Christ to the family. And that is an example for us in church organization. So those who aren't specifically called by God or don't qualify for such positions, um, they're not left out in the cold. They may uh, uh, qualify for other roles, such as teachers or treasurers or clerks, etc. Sabbath school superintendent or, you know, 
whatever it may be, but not those positions that handle covenant-type rituals. There's a distinction. And I'll say that this also applies to the qualified ladies who can be servants, so we call them deaconesses. You know, or they can be teachers, treasurers, the same thing, and we'll see this in a moment as we look at the wife's role in the family as a model for the church. But in looking at the family circle, children, I want to bring this to your attention as well. Children, what's their role? They're apprentices, aren't they? They're, you, you could call them that. They're apprentices in the family who are being trained for mental, physical, and spiritual examples of Christ. Isn't that true? Well, new converts are like children in the family of God who are to gain a greater experience with Christ and be trained for service. And in the proper time, they may qualify or they may be called by God to a leadership position. So there are leadership... Just just to recap here quickly. There are leadership positions that some women are qualified to fill, as I mentioned, such as deaconess, treasurer, clerk, teacher, even prophet. But they cannot officiate covenant-type responsibilities because the qualified male represents or symbolizes Jesus, the head, in such sacred services, just as the husband represents Jesus, the head, to the family. I hope you can understand that. But women have their role in the family of God just as they have their role in the family circle. It doesn't mean they're less of a person. People like to divide us, don't they? They like to get us into one camp or the other. It's just different responsibilities, friends. Let me share this with you. Welfare Ministry, page 147. There is a wide field in which our sisters may do good service for the Master in the various branches of the work connected with His cause. Through missionary labor, they can reach a class that our ministers cannot. Many things connected with different churches... Well, let me back up again. She says, through missionary labor, they can reach a class that our ministers cannot. They're so such a division in the professed church today over this ordination, the ordaining of women to pastors. If they were put in such positions, they may be taken out of a missionary field where they could reach somebody that they were supposed to have reached. You see what I'm saying? Those who are born of the Spirit will want to do God's will whatever that may be. They will go where He calls. But there's so many who want to do their own thing. Isn't that true? And this is what she's talking about here. Why do you think she's even addressing women? She's saying, you don't have to stay home. Or you don't have to fulfill what God has called the men to do. You have your own calling. There are responsibilities for you. There are roles for you in God's cause. One is, you can do missionary labor that can reach a class that the ministers can't. She goes on, she says, Many things connected with different churches are left undone 
that women, if properly instructed, could attend to. Our sisters might serve as, she gives some examples, church clerks. This is an example. You can serve as a church clerk. And the church business would not be so sadly neglected. There are many other offices connected with the cause of God which our sisters are better qualified to fill than our brethren and in which they might do efficient service. But what are they doing? They're striving after what the men do. And I'm speaking about in today's professed church. But you even saw it back then in her day to some degree. And so, you know, I appeal to the ladies. I appeal to all of you. Let's be humble. Let's come to Jesus and say, what would you have me to do? Regardless of what it is. Now, you know, when you, you're starting to organize your group, some responsibilities must be handled whether you have a, a qualified elder or deacon or, or not, such as treasurer and clerk. I mean, <laughs> again, because it, you're going to be handling finances. you got to keep records. Those are very important officer, you know, offices for uh, within the church. They're very important. Now, let's look at that for a minute. The person chosen for treasurer must be honest just like any other position. They need to be full of the Holy Ghost and know how to handle accounts, among other things. It's not a position for a novice, though I suppose you could learn. Absolutely, you could learn how to do that. But somebody's going to have to do it, right? The church clerk must also be someone who's pious, who's organized, Good at keeping notes and records, among other things. If you have someone like that. But it's still got to be done. Somebody may have to learn. And when we talk about leadership, I just want to clarify this for a moment. I want you to take notice that if you've been called to lead, Jesus has given you more responsibility to serve and edify the flock. You're not to be Lord over your brethren but you're to serve your brethren. But you lead. Okay? It's not... You, leadership... Leadership in today's world has kind of been redefined as going by consensus. That's not leadership. Leadership in the church is someone who is instructed by Christ and carries out that instruction. You're a servant. You're called to greater responsibility to the flock. And I want to give this counsel to you too. Um, I don't want you to think that because your church has a minister and an elder or deacon and treasurer that you have no responsibilities as a member. <laughs> That's one of the bigger problems in the professed church. You know, that all the members have to do is, is show up for worship. 
You know, do your duty, pay your tithes, show up, and and leave. Each person in the family circle has a responsibility to the family, don't they? I mean, let me ask you: Does the woman, wife, and a mother do they have a role and responsibility in the family? Well, the obvious answer is yes, isn't it? Isn't it interesting that when you study the Bible and you're talking about we're talking about the church, that God often refers to His church in the feminine? He does, doesn't He? Isn't that interesting? For example, Jeremiah 6, verse 2. I have likened the daughter of Zion to a comely and delicate woman. And we know that, that that's true is symbolism and prophecy. Right? And God refers to it in the feminine. I found that very interesting. The man, the husband and father is the leader of the home and the woman, the wife, the mother has her role in the family too. Great responsibility. Each have great responsibility, but they have different roles, and we've studied that out. We saw great similarities between the man's role and that of leadership in the church. And we can also see great similarities between the woman's role and that of members in the church. And what I want to do is, I want to take some time here I want to look again at the responsibilities of of the woman, the wife, and mother and see the parallels to the roles and responsibilities of church members. And maybe you've never looked at it this way before. But remember, the Christian home is an example, is a church in and of itself, and is to be an example of the family in heaven, right? The church. It is a church. And we've looked at the roles in order to understand the roles of the church. To better understand, I should say. And how to be better organized. As your family's organized, the church organization, in proper gospel order, it'll carry on into the church. That's what I'm trying to say. And so let's look again here at uh, the responsibilities of the woman, the wife, and the mother and see the parallels for church members. The first thing that we, we learned uh, was that she was to be the helpmeet for the man. Men and women were created equal in their relationship to God and to each other. We believe that, right? Among other things, this infers companionship, love, affection, for a married couple, sexual intimacy. So, this parallels with the role of church members, except for sexual intimacy. (laughs) Okay? And so all members of the church, male or female, no matter what office they may hold or not hold, are brethren. They have a responsibility to serve each other and aid those who are called. Not in a, uh, an employee to an employer type uh, of uh, situation, but as helpers to their brethren in serving Christ. There is to be no striving for supremacy, but each is to honor the other as equals in the family of God, though they will have different roles and responsibilities. This isn't too hard to understand, I don't believe, friends. But self always throws a monkey wrench into it, doesn't it? 
Paul said in Romans 12.10, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. So, as believers, we are to regard each other affectionately. You know, as sons and daughters of the same Father, our Father in Heaven. There is a close bond that is to exist between the members of the church. Paul's meaning here is that in their love for their brethren, believers should feel that special, warm affection of close relatives. Do you experience that in your church? If you don't, there's an issue. And so as the wife is the helpmate of the husband, church members are to also be the helpers of those who have leadership responsibilities in the church family. Let me share this with you. From the Review and Herald, August 23, 1881. The people must lift where the minister lifts, thus seconding seconding his efforts and helping him bear his burdens, and then he will not be overworked and become discouraged. There is no influence that that can be brought to bear on a church that will be enduring unless the people shall move intelligently from principle to do all they can to forward the work. So what does she say? People must lift where the minister lifts. So there's a principle here. We're to aid each other and lift where the leaders lift. To help those who are called to such positions. Here's a second one. This is from Gospel Workers, page 352. The work of God in this earth can never be finished until... That really grabbed my attention. The work can never be finished until what? She says, until the men and women comprising our church membership rally to the work and unite their efforts with those of ministers and church officers. What good is it to have leaders if no one follows? So as the woman is the helpmate of the husband, the members are to be helpmates of those who are in leadership position. In this case, I mean, she's talking uh, mainly about ministers. But it doesn't matter the office. We should always be willing to help. Is that true? But it is a gift of the Spirit. We'll get into that in a later study. The second thing about the woman, and I'll, I'll close out today with this one. Gosh, I hope so. (laughs) Um, I'll tell you what, let's just stop there. Because I think I'll I'll go a little too long there. So there will be a part five. (laughs) But I hope you, I I hope that you're gaining some some insight. You're being blessed by this and, and some questions are being answered. And don't be afraid to ask me questions if you want to get better organized as a group. I want things to do. Or if you want to join our group, you know, our church. Um, you know, 
you have my email address. Uh, you have my phone numbers there in a the bulletin. You know, I'm available. You can talk to me. I'm approachable. Some some ministers aren't approachable, uh, but I, I'm approachable. And so, I hope you're 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 being blessed by these studies. And 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 my my greatest prayer in in all of this is that we come together in better organization, so that we can be better blessed and receive the latter rain and finish this work. That's the whole the whole thing to prepare people to meet Jesus face to face. And so. You know, friends, what is the whole purpose of the church? It's to spread the gospel. It's to church was organized for service, organized in order to to have proper service for others. We need to be organized, and so uh, I hope that you study this out on your own. Always, anything that I bring to you, study to show yourself approved. If you find where I'm in error on anything, you can uh, show me. So. You know, let me know. Again, I am approachable. <laughs> Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this uh, lesson here today. We accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we want to be organized. We want to be fit uh, to serve. We want to receive the latter rain so that we can finish the work. We want to be properly organized that we can bring glory to thy name. And we know that you can only bless organization, Father. So we pray for your blessings. Help us step by step to grow and uh, to be pulled closer together in unity, the bonds of love, and to be organized. Father, we thank you so much for this Sabbath day. We thank you for uh, Jesus who died for our sins. We thank you for the church. We thank you for angels that help us. We praise your holy name for providing all our necessities. We look forward to the time when our battle with evil is over and we can truly gain that rest, that spiritual rest and physical rest for eternity. Help us, Lord, to be the servants you want us to be. We humbly ask in the name of Jesus, for he's worthy. Amen.